fellowship it is wow that was awesome it's great to be with you this morning um uh, take a seat for just a sec i'm gonna share some stories with you um it's a beautiful morning um all of us 
The students over here just spent the week and we just came back from fall retreat, all of our ninth and 12th graders. Um, yeah, come on, it was awesome. And just briefly wanted to share some stories. Um, I know that, that last Sunday that you all as a congregation spent time praying for us at fall retreat. And I wanna thank you and specifically thank you by showing you the ways that the Lord heard you and answered. There's a story from Second uh, Chronicles 20, um, and it's a story of a king who was readying for battle, um, and he was, you know, feeling all the things that you feel when you're readying for battle, um, and was crying out to the Lord, and the people that were with him were doing the same, and a man rose from the, from the crowd um, and, and told him, he was moved by the Spirit and said, this battle is not one that you will fight. Um, and as, as they continued, he, he told them, he said, when you step out for battle, take your ground and stand firm and believe you will not have to fight a thing. And as they stood, as they prepared for battle, um, this king bowed before the Lord, as well as all the people that were with him and worshiped. And, it, and the passage says that as soon as the praisers raised their voices and sang that the Lord ambushed the enemy and won. And there's no better way to describe what we experienced at fall retreat than that, an ambush of the Lord against the enemy. It was beautiful to watch 200 plus students worshiping fully surrender to the Lord, arms raised, crying out to their God. Our sound folks had mentioned that uh, the, the little, I guess, dials had measured that the praises were louder than what we have set this room at, that the voices of our students rose past the sound that we were producing with the speakers. <laughs> and I can say with assurance, because I'm still feeling it today, that there has never been a worship service quite like that, where God's presence was so tangible. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, says Corinthians, and we lived it. It was wonderful, right? Am I right? Yeah. We lived it. A few specific stories. I felt the Lord reminding me that Jesus was a worshiper too and that he spent time before the Father worshiping with us. And I began praying into that, hoping, believing that he would join us that way. And later, after Saturday night's worship service, the one that was louder than the speakers could produce sound, <laughs> one of my guys looked at me and he said, Aaron, Jesus was in the room with us, on stage, worshiping, walking around, and we felt it. The aftermath, the stories that I've heard, the ways that people have given their lives to Christ because of the way that Jesus came was unbelievable. Nine different individuals were stirred by the Spirit to give their lives to Christ over the weekend, and countless others asked for accountability. And come on, yeah, let's praise that, come on. It's beautiful. Prayers were prayed, answers came, and we saw the Lord move in a tangible way where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we're gonna continue to worship this morning um, through baptism. We're gonna watch um, as the Lord does his thing. This is Anna Williams. She was one of our sterns, and I'll pass it off to Lauren. So, yes, I am Lauren Loper, and I have had the privilege of knowing Anna for the last few years, and I can't express how much of a joy that has been. Um, Anna loves selflessly. She is incredibly faithful and she leads humbly and vulnerably. 
And when you meet Anna, you can't help but notice that there's something unique about her. Um, and when you take a step back and reflect on what it is, you see that she exudes the Lord's love and just has this peace that is overwhelming in him. And I know that in the last few years, she has seen that even in trials since she was two years old, his presence um, and the way that he's always here. And that new life and heart change is something that is to be nourished, not just acknowledged. And she wants to do that today through baptism. And so, Anna, I know that I speak for myself and for this whole cell group that we love you deeply and we can't wait to celebrate and praise the Lord through this act of baptism. We love you. Mm. Anna, is it your testimony <clears throat> in front of God and these witnesses and your community of faith um, that you love Jesus, he has rescued you from sin and death and hell, that he's the king of your life and that you wanna follow him all the days of your life? Amazing. Then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life.
on, lift it up. With shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall abide in humble adoration and there proclaim my God. great God, he welcomes us in, despite our sin, despite the ways that we fall short, he welcomes us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, church, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing Without him, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Sing this out. Lord, I need you.
As we go into a time of offering, I invite you guys to say this prayer out loud with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. You are an abundant God, and out of your great mercy, you have given us so much. We give you this offering today. Use it for your kingdom and your glory. May it extend and multiply its reach and influence. As we give our tithes and offerings, we surrender our whole beings to you in worship and adoration. May our sincere desire to be faithful stewards bring joy to your heart. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
that's a scary prayer unless you love us more than we love ourselves. Unless you're trustworthy. Unless you're the king of the universe who's personal with us. Lord, we do give you everything this morning afresh anew. We give our lives to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, as you all may know, the first Sunday of every month, we have our junior high and high school students in here, and we love it. Welcome, FSM. Yeah. And you may notice we actually have some younger students today. So we have our elementary students. Raise your hand if you are in K through 6 and you're in here today. Oh, yeah. That's a good crew. So uh, kindergarten through sixth graders, I'm going to try to capture y'all's attention throughout the entire service. That is one of my goals. And so raise your hand if you like to participate more than you like to spectate. If you'd rather play a sport than watch a sport, raise your hand if you would rather participate rather than spectate. Sure, I think most of us would, right? So I'm going to ask a few questions, and um, elementary students, y'all can raise your hands, and I'll call on you. The first service did a great job. The first one is this. Life is all about fill in the blank. What do y'all think life is all about? Any questions? Any hands want to go up and try to answer that? Yes. Solid answer. It's about what God created. Very well said. Yeah, life is all about. Yep. Any other guesses out there? Life is all about? Pizza. Yes. Oh, this is, this is a pastor's daughter here. Relationships. I think, I think you may have heard me practicing. Um. <laughs> Well said, Anna. Well said. Uh, it's been said that to find out what a person values most, all you have to do is look at their calendar and look at their checking account, right? And we're in a series where we're talking about stewarding our time, our talent, our treasure, and today, relationships. Um, one day, Jesus basically got asked to fill in the blank. Doug referenced it last week. It's in Matthew 22, and that's where we'll start today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus got asked to boil down the law. It was a test. He was trying to trap Jesus because, as we know, the whole law was important. How can you say which one is best? Jesus did. He answered, he replied, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, with a lot of 
the questions from religious leaders, Jesus liked to redirect the conversation. He told a parable. He answered indirectly. He squared up with this one and really answered it about as clearly as you can answer it. The greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Life boils down to loving relationships. Love is at the heart of what it means to be human. It's at the heart of life. Jesus says it is to be our aim. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, why would Jesus give us these two commandments? Kids, have y'all wondered why your mom and dad ask you to do certain things? Is it because they just like bossing you around? Trying to steal all the fun out of life? No, it's because they love you and they want what's best for you. If they say, don't jump down from there, it's too high, are they just trying to be boring? No, there are natural laws in place. Gravity is a reality we have to live with. God designed us with the same laws that govern our heart, soul, and mind. As the designer, he asks us to do things that will lead to our thriving. Just as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived eternally in a loving relationship and us being created in God's image, we're created for loving relationships. So with who and how? Well, we're to love God completely, love others Love ourselves correctly and love others compassionately. Loving God completely with all that we are, our heart, our soul, and our mind. Loving ourselves correctly, seeing ourselves the way God sees us. If we aren't able to love ourselves correctly, we won't be able to love others compassionately the way that the Lord loves them. Well, according to Jesus, life is all about relationships, Relationship with God and relationship with others. We see this in what he said and how he lived, how he gave his life away. Now, maybe you've experienced this truth. I, I think it's built into us. You can observe it anecdotally. You look around the people that you love being around, and they invest in relationships. There's also really good research behind it. A Harvard study of adult development may be the most comprehensive study ever conducted as it's followed its participants for their, enti their entire adult lives. The study was started in Boston in 1938 and has covered three generations, grandparents, parents, and children who are now considered baby boomers. It's analyzed more than 2,000 people throughout 85 years of longitudinal study. The researchers who have followed these people have maintained a studying 84% participation rate over eight decades. They have visited homes, spoken to parents, siblings, tracked medical exams, followed marriages and careers. The study has produced a wealth of significant data. However, in a recent article published in the Wall Street Journal, director Robert Waldinger and Associate Director Dr. Mark Schultz 
pointed out the most significant contributing factor to physical health, mental health, and longevity. Kids, can y'all guess what it is? Raise your hand if you think you know what the most significant thing is about life and health and mental Yes. Relationships. Someone is listening. Someone is listening. Absolutely. And I quote, close personal connections are significant enough that if we had to take all 85 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to a single principle for life, one life investment that is supported by similar findings across a variety of other studies, it would be this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. If you want to make one decision to ensure your own life, your own health and happiness, it should be to cultivate warm relationships of all kinds, end quote. In fact, the importance of relationships for long-term health increased as participants aged. Especially for older people, Waldinger and Schultz continued loneliness is twice as unhealthy as obesity. And chronic illness increases a person's odds of death in any given year by 26%. So we were created for connection, for community, for relationships. Jesus tells us that love is the key ingredient for these relationships. So if love is the key ingredient to relationships, according to Jesus, how do we measure love? Any thoughts on that? How do you measure love? We, me- we measure length in inches, temperature in degrees, weight in ounces, but how do we measure love? In the first service, they said you can't measure love, which was deep and true. Um, but I'm actually going for an answer, yes. Happiness, that's good, that's good, I like that. So let me give you all a hint from maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love, the measure of love, is by what a person gives, by what we give. That's how you measure love. Mark 10, 45 says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, if life is all about relationships, according to Jesus, if love is the distinguishing feature of these relationships, and if love is measured by what we give, let's take a little inventory. This is not to guilt or shame anyone. It is honestly, truly to get us to stop and think for a second, how are we doing with giving in our relationships? So, in your relationship with God... Do you seek to get or to give? I like that. That's good. If you are married with regard to your spouse, do you seek to get or to give? If you have roommates, do you seek to get or give? At work, do you seek to get or do you seek to give? At church, do you seek to get or give? Kids, with your parents, Do you seek to get or to give? You can do both. You can do both. Yeah, you're on it. You are all over it. Kids, with your friends, teachers, coaches, siblings, do you seek to get or give? 
rhetorical question. I don't know about you, but I go back and forth on the scale. I hope with each passing year that I become a more giving person. I hope so. The question for each of us is a question of giving or getting. In my life, do I seek to get or to give? Each of us is pursuing our vision of the good life. What will bring us satisfaction, joy, and peace? If our vision entails us getting a bunch of stuff, getting experiences, getting influence, getting people to do what we want them to do, then we will, try to, we will spend our life trying to get. But if our vision of the good life is taken from the Bible, we'll spend our whole life trying to give. If you've tried both of these paths, I know you've experienced the truth of Jesus' words. It's truly more blessed to give than to receive. Getting is a black hole that's never satisfied. Our self is never satisfied. But giving does satisfy and leads to joy. Well, each of us has underlying beliefs that affect the way we live. If we can grasp some truths about life and apply them, we will learn to live to give. So here are some truths about life that seem extremely cold and almost make us giggle. Um, Life is hard. You are not the most important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control, and you are going to die. I feel like I have to read those like, life is hard. You're not the most important. These truths seem cold and hard, but I actually think they're life-giving and liberating if, uh, if you can engage them a little bit. So give them a chance. Give them a chance. Um, Jesus promises, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is hard. If we're buckled up, we can handle the ups and downs that life will bring. You are not the most important. Now, I'm going to spend the most time on explaining this one because in a room this size, we all come at this from different perspectives, different mindsets. Originally, I had put the wording as, you are not important. One of our staff members saw the slide and said, I feel like people (laughs) might not hear anything you say. Uh, if you put it that way. Um, And it will reinforce messages maybe they've heard their whole life that are not true. And um, this couldn't be further from the truth, though. As we talked about earlier, we have to love ourselves correctly. The value of anything is what someone is willing to pay for it. Jesus was willing to pay his life for you. You have infinite value. There's nothing more valuable than that. You are created in God's image with unique gifts that are unique only to you. There will never be another you ever created. You are accepted, loved, cherished, and secure in God's love. However, at the same time, like Mark mentioned a couple weeks ago, none of us is really all that spectacular in and of ourselves. No matter how smart, successful, athletic, beautiful, or competent you are, You are not that impressive. None of us are. We're all humans that put our pants on one leg at a time, broken by the effects of sin. We are all dependent on oxygen. We all are dependent on food and water. We are dependent creatures. None of us 
is really all that spectacular. The key for us is humility. I like this definition of humility. Seeing yourself as you truly are, nothing more and nothing less. Our goal, our aim is to see ourselves the way God sees us. Your life is not all about you. You are not the center of the universe. The quicker you can realize that you're a part of a much larger story, and to the degree that you can say, as John the Baptist said, Jesus must become greater, I must become less, to that degree, you will be filled with freedom, joy, and love. You are not in control. The only control the Bible talks about is self-control. Control is an illusion. As my kids are getting older, I am way more in touch with this. The more I realize that they are independent, moral, spiritual beings with a mind, will, and emotions, the more I'm compelled to pray for them and to say, Lord, they are yours, because clearly they are not mine. Um, I can't take too much credit, and I can't take too much blame. They, they are in the Lord's hands. You are going to die. You are going to die. The statistics on death among humans are staggering. <laughs> staggering. There are not many guarantees for us as humans, but death and taxes are two of them. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning, funerals, than to go to a house of feasting, parties, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living, the living should take this to heart. Going to funerals is an important spiritual discipline. The quicker we can accept the reality of death, the more we can enjoy this short life that God has given us on earth. Now, there are a lot of forces in this world, our flesh, the world, Satan, that are trying to have us live with blinders on and actually trying to trick us to believe the complete opposite, that life should be easy, that you are the most important, that your life is all about you, that you can control everything, and to never think about your own death. The problem with these beliefs is that they are simply not true. The facts of life can be proved all over the Bible, and they simply reflect reality. These false beliefs are promoted all over our culture and really a mirage that set us up for disappointment and selfish living. Have it your way. You deserve it. YOLO, your best life now. These philosophies about life and a nickel will get you a hot cup of jack squat. They are not useful. So five shifts need to occur if we are to move from living lives of getters to living lives as givers. First, wanting ease to embracing difficulty. Secondly, caring about self to caring about others. Again, this is the one that can be easily misconstrued. Just like the airplane safety instructions, you have to secure your own mask to get oxygen to breathe to help others. Don't hear this one as, you can't have needs or you don't matter. We've got to love ourselves correctly to be able to love others compassionately. Being the whole story to being part of the story, controlling to surrendering, investing in the temporary to investing in the eternal. Now, it's easy for us to get caught up in things that don't matter, isn't it? 
What do y'all think is one of the biggest things in your life that keeps you from thinking about and investing in things that really matter? For me, one of them is this thing. Uh, A cell phone makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Unfortunately, I have a hard time mastering this thing. I've got the Do Not Disturb feature on. It's still constantly vying for my time and my attention, pulling me back to things that are pretty trivial, pretty don't really matter a whole lot. So each of us has to figure out how to control this little glowing rectangle that we carry around. So what are three things that last forever? And this is where hands can go up. If you have a guess, what are three things that last for eternity? Any thoughts on that? Yes. What, say it one more time. Graphs? Grass, grass lasts. Okay. I like that. There's, there's Bible verses about grass. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yes. Your spirit. Oh, that's one of them. So the souls of people last forever. Absolutely. Yes, young man. Josh, go ahead, bud. What? You have to open your mouth, son. (laughs) I'm going to skip my son over here. (laughs) Yes. Say it again. Dirt. Okay. Wow, we're on an earthy theme. Um, I'm going to go. Yes, last one here. Yes. Ooh, love and relationship. Okay, that's very good. That's very good. So three things that last for eternity, if you'd like to write this down. God, his word, and people. There may be more, but I'm, I'm sure of those three. God, people, and his word. So those would be really good, worthy of our investment, right? Seems like those would be great things to invest your life in. Let me read a quote to y'all from C.S. Lewis about the eternal nature of humans. It's a long one, but it's good. It's good. It's worth it. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, he's using little g here. He's just meaning eternal beings. He's not meaning that we can all become gods like God, okay? So he's just saying eternal beings. He uses the little g there. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption, so as you, as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, and it is with the same, and it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. No one in this room is a mere mortal. We are all eternal 
beings. Now, even if I weren't a Christian, I'd challenge each of you to give your life away in relationships. Just like the Harvard study said, it's just the best way to live. It will increase your own sense of satisfaction, happiness, mental health, longevity. However, when you combine giving your life away in relationships with the eternal reality of people, it's a weighty thing. Jesus told his disciples how we are to invest in these eternal beings. Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountainside where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus tells the disciples to continue to give their life away in making disciples, and that's what they did. You can read all about it in in the 28 chapters of Acts. Now, we really are in Acts 29 right now, the same period of time, the church age, when Jesus' command to his disciples is just as applicable to us today. So here's a definition of making disciples that I really like. I learned it about 10 years ago. Discipleship or making disciples is life and truth transference in the context of an authentic relationship for the purpose of producing reproducers of Christ. And that is investing your life in relationships for Christ. Now, what can investing your life and your truth and God's truth into people look like? Let me show you all. Uh, I want to invite up my friends to join me on stage. You know who you are. Um, don't come up if I haven't talked to you. Um, yeah. So we've got Tyler and Davis and Aaron and Jack and Dick that are going to join me on stage. And I heard about this discipleship, um, these discipleship relationships, and I said, you know what, that's a good story. I'm going to share that with our church body. So um, this is Tyler. Tyler's in fourth grade. Everybody say, hi, Tyler. All right, Ty, welcome up here. Who is this guy next to you, Ty? That's Davis Wood. Davis Wood. And how do you know Davis? He's my small group leader. He's been leading with me for about three years now. Awesome. Now, what do you admire about Davis? He knows when there's a time and a place to be, like, silly, and he loves God. Mm-hmm. That's big. That's big. Not, not a lot of people know that time and place. You're doing well. You're doing well. A- anything you've learned about the Lord from him through the way he acts or something he has said? He enjoys, like, leading, so I'm leading with my dad right now in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Ty. Um, Yeah, (laughs) y'all can clap. Yeah, that's great. Uh, So, Davis, those are some pretty encouraging words, aren't they? Yes, sir. Awesome. Yeah, it's significant that you can have an impact in younger people's lives. Um, Thanks for leading Ty and all these guys in your small group. Doing a great job. How have you been blessed in spending time with Ty? 
just knowing that um, what I'm doing can make an impact on his life and mm -hmm. can lead him down a life that could just be blessed by what I'm teaching and just that through what I'm what I could affect him with he can affect others and that can just keep showing God's glory sounds like a vision of discipleship that's awesome um, who's this guy next to you the guy next to me is Aaron Morin and and how do you know Aaron He's been my soul group leader for a year and a half now. Awesome. And uh, what have you noticed in Aaron's life that you would like to emulate? First, how passionate he is for the Lord and how whatever he does, he always turns to the Lord. And you can just see it and through your acts with others and how he's always loving and relationships with others. And I would just want to treat other people like how he treats them. Man, I want to be like Aaron. Um, what are you most grateful uh, to Aaron for? I'm grateful that um, just through the time with him, that he always, like, when I, when I need some time alone with him, that he'll be able to help me work through the hard stuff that can really just, like, stop your relationship with God from growing. And it's just through that things I've been able to grow past them and become a better believer through that. Awesome. Thank you, Davis. Um, <laughs> Aaron, thank you for investing your life in Davis's. Yeah, of course. You're making a big difference. Um, what, how has your life been enriched by spending time with Davis? I mean, yeah, most of our conversations go like that. And so uh, there's just a depth that exists in his heart, a depth of love and commitment to Christ that um, overflows um, and encourages me. Um, and also our cell group guys as well. Um, like he, he's a leader. Um, and so I think we're all touched by his affection for the Lord and the ways that he relies on him and also just has great questions. Um, not many people ask good questions of God or other people, and he's a very curious mind, loves the Lord a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Who's, who's this guy next to you, Aaron? This is Jack C. And how do you know Jack? Uh, Jack C. is one of my mentors. Uh, we meet on Thursday mornings. Uh, with this little group of fellows called the Mustard Seeds. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What have you learned about following Christ from Jack? Yeah, Jack has taught me a lot. Um, I think most specifically um, just the power of humility um, and grace. Um, he tells us all the time that the, the man that he is today isn't who he was before, and that's only because of Jesus. Um, and along with that, um, that learning never ends when you're in a relationship with Jesus. And so he shows that on a daily basis. He stays curious. He also asks good questions that make us think, um, the fellows that are with him. It's just inspiring to watch somebody desire to know Jesus, um, not only like at the beginning of their life, but also for the rest of it. That's awesome. Hey, Aaron, one more thing. Um, what has y'all's time looked like? What do y'all yeah. do in your mustard seed time? Yeah, we meet... Uh, well, we meet everywhere. Um, we've met at a park. Um, we've met at the church. We met at Onyx. And I think right now we're meeting at his house. Um, and we'll either listen to a podcast. We've done that, right? Yeah. Podcast or a book. Um, but I think my favorite times are really just when we just sit and talk about life together over a cup of coffee. Um, those are the most life-giving, typically. Yeah, yeah it's, it's life and it's truth. Transference in the context of authentic relationship. For the purpose of producing reproducers of Jesus. It's excellent. Awesome. Um, yes, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Jack, thank you for investing in Aaron's life. Um, how have you been blessed through your time with Aaron and these young men? 
Well, I tell Aaron and the others all the time, I learn more from them than they ever learned from me, for sure. And, you know, one thing that I love about Aaron is his kingdom vision in all that he does, in all of his decisions and everything, and then especially how big his God is. His God, you know, a lot of us, and me, I'll do it, and we all try to take God and dumb him down so we can explain him and do that. And Aaron does just the opposite, that he works off of a God that is so big and so infinite, and we have conversations around seeing what he's doing in our lives and just how big he is, that's very inspirational. Um, you know, we've met for a couple of years too. And, you know, when you, when you spend a couple of years with people, you see the ups and the downs, you see the good and the bad. And so I have walked with Aaron through some really wonderful seasons and some challenging seasons as well. And in Psalm 23, when you talk about walking through the valley, when Aaron is in the valley, he still sees the peak and he still sees the vision and he remains very steadfast in that. And so I'm always very encouraged to see him walk through the good and the bad times with a kingdom vision. It also inspires me, and I was noticing it in in between the services here, he loves these young kids, young men and women, and they love him, Mm. right? Give it up for Aaron over there, you guys. and, and I've, I've watched him go through that, and it's just it's inspirational to watch him and see the love that he pours out That's back awesome. to them. That's awesome. Enough about Aaron. Who's this guy next to you? This is Dick Nervick, for those that don't know. Right. You know, and I, if I was going to explain Dick, and I thought about this as you teed it up perfectly, and I had it, there is no better example of the great commandment and the great commission and Dick Nervig. And there are hundreds of men that could stand up here uh, in my place and say these same things. But think about this. There's not a person in here, whether it's your first time or you've been here 20 years, there's not a person in here that Dick has not prayed over or for. You think about that. And I've watched him shepherd this church. For those of you who don't know, we are a elder-led church. And Dick has been an elder for the past six years or so. And his giving back to these people has just been incredible. Um, so if, if I had to really kind of go through that, the great com- commandment and commission, what it's hard to boil Dick down into a word, but I would say discipleship. And one of the tactical things that I've taken away from that is really how to learn and be very intentional with time and our priorities and setting up the discipleship process in a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy fashion. So a mentor, a peer, and a mentee, and being very intentional in that. And I've spent time with Dick uh, very structured and very unstructured, and uh, the amount of knowledge that I picked up from him and being intentional with our time and priority and time, learning not, not time on the clock and time today, but eternal time and thinking of our time as eternal and how we prioritize um, has been a big influence in helping me think through that process. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, y'all can, y'all can clap for that as well. Uh, 
Dick, you have been a wonderful example on how to invest life. Um, yeah, we have learned a lot from you. Um, Dick and I joked earlier, like, he's like, I'm the end of the line. What do we do here? Uh, <laughs> I know why. <laughs> this is such a powerful example of generational discipleship as, as spelled out in the Great Commission. And, and it kind of dawned on me, you know, we got the Timothy, we got the Paul, we got the Barnabas. Uh, I guess I'm the Methuselah. Uh, how have you been blessed in spending time with Jack and other men like him well the um, about 15 years that Connie and I have been a part of Fellowship Bible Church I think we would both say that we have been blessed over and over and over again with uh, people that have certainly discipled us and we've had the opportunity um, to disciple them and and uh, Jack mentioned it too, but my, my time spent with Jack, uh, it's been very uh, symbiotic, spiritually symbiotic, mutually benefiting. I've learned a great deal from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, Jack has, and again, in the Great Commission, it talks about teaching, but it also teach, talks about obeying. It's not just about accumulating uh, biblical facts and biblical principles, but putting them to action. And I've seen Jack uh, do that in, in so many settings in his family, uh, uh, other groups that, uh, that I've been with him. Uh, and uh, just uh, also uh, Jack has really captured, and obviously you can see this visually represented up here, that being a disciple is, it also implies they're a disciple maker. And being a disciple maker means death to self. And he has modeled that uh, so, so well in so many ways. Yeah. Hey, how much does this vision of uh, generational discipleship excite you? Speak to that a little bit. Oh, boy. Uh, Fellowship's mission and vision is to change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas. And... Um, And then also it talks about how are we going to do that by producing and releasing spiritual leaders, disciples and disciple makers. Uh, Earlier we saw a changed life story. We saw Anna and her baptism and and this visual representation. Uh, I, I just, to God be the glory, to God be the glory that because of his grateful love for each one of us and it overflows in this love relationship as we seek out and try to share the gospel of other people that he places in our lives. And so I'm just so, so grateful. I have to be really, really honest. There's, um, when you talk about um, my appreciation for that, it's very uh, personal. For such a time as this in such a mobile society, both my daughters and their husbands and my four grandkids um, are a part of fellowship. And I watch in a very real way so many of you sitting here over the years that have died to self to invest in them and so many others. So for that, uh, my heart is filled with gratitude. Well said. Well said. Um, yeah. Thank you. You know, it might look like these relationships are linear and passed down like that. They're actually very... Uh, uh, not convoluted, that's not the word. Um, They're very joined together. So Jack's son is in Davis's cell group. So Jack is around their cell leaders. Dick has invested in Tyler and his brothers through investing in their dad. 
uh, Jack co-led um, small group with Davis's dad, Brian. And there's like all this um, joining together. You think about the biblical image of the body being joined together. That's really what this is. It's not linear. It's very joined together. Um, you just don't find these kind of relationships happening anywhere else in society, do you? I mean, I think it's unique to the local church. And so encourage you, dive in to the local church. If it's here at Fellowship, we would love that. If it's at another church, wherever you are, bloom where you're planted and dive in. Invest your life in eternal relationships, in eternal things. Um, one, thing, one other thing you may have noticed is that all these relationships happen in the context of small group. And we see small groups as a fishing pond for discipleship, whether it's cell groups, whether it's leading an elementary small group, whether it's uh, in a men's group, a women's group, a community group, discover small group. We encourage you to get into a small group and then ask the Lord, Lord, who do you have in this group that you want me to invest my life in? And uh, that will be powerful. So a couple uh, women in our body, Connie Nervig and Kathy Rush, have said, hey, we want to organize some of these um, women's discipleship groups. So if you are interested in that, they have 13 women who have said, I will help lead these small groups. So we have disciplers saying, hey, I'll facilitate this life and truth transference in the context of an authentic relationship for the purpose of producing reproducers of Jesus. And so um, after service, stop by the booth if you are interested in being in, in one of these women's discipleship groups. Hey, quick, couple quick things to mention before um, we close out the service. We've got our newcomers gathering right after service, so if you'd like to meet some of our staff, get connected at Fellowship, learn some more, it's in the FSM room across the foyer. Um, also, today, Philippians books are on sale. We start studying, walking through the book of Philippians next Sunday, so grab your books. Um, they are $10. This Wednesday, we have our monthly legacy gathering. Legacy is a group of mature adults seeking to live and finish well from God's perspective. Yes, Dick and others lead this ministry. Um, the focus of this gathering will be a short-term mission opportunity to the Amazon River. So um, come and join this Wednesday if you can. Um, Discover Fellowship starts this Sunday, this next Sunday. So um, it's our recommended first step to get connected at Fellowship. Chris and Jeff are over here. They would love to pray with you. If you want to pray with someone about anything, Jeff and Chris would be a wonderful couple, and they would love to pray with you. Um, Dick, would you um, share our, our benediction from Ephesians 5? Would you stand, please? Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved us, and has given himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Amen. Amen. We love you, fellowship. Have a great week.